from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis met with Canadian Indigenous leaders and Canadian Catholic bishops this week in steps aimed at bringing reconciliation to those communities, where in the last year tensions have grown due to the Church's role in operating residential schools for the assimilation of Indigenous children. Father Raymond D'Souza is in Rome this week and joins us with his analysis. Then we explore the new exciting venture of EWTN News in the Middle East, a Catholic news agency in Erbil, Iraq. Catholic News Agency's Executive Director Alejandro Bermudez was present last week in Iraq when they cut the ribbon for the launch of Asi Mena. He explains this important mission to Catholics who face persecution for their faith yet cling to Christianity. Stay tuned for the story. I'm Jeanette Mello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio, joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Editor. And of course, we're also joined by Father Raymond D'Souza, who's a priest of the Archdiocese, Archdiocese of Kingston, Ontario. Uh, he's a longtime Register columnist, and he's been so since the days of his studying in Rome at the North American College. Father Raymond is back in Rome. Uh, he's covering these important meetings that took place this week, and he is with us now, actually right after a press briefing. So, Father Raymond, welcome, and thank you um, for reporting from the ground there. Thank you. Good to be with you, Jeanette. Good to be with you, Matthew. So these meetings have been very important um, for Canadians. I mean, uh, you have written a table setter at the beginning of this week, you know, just kind of laying out the parameters of why um, these meetings are so important. Um, but let's describe to our listeners um, just why, for Canadians especially, these meetings are, are crucial um, for kind of moving forward. What, how do they come to be? Well, what happened, Jeanette, the long history is that at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century, and really till the mid-20th century, the policy of the government of Canada was to take indigenous children, uh, sometimes called Native Americans in the United States or Aboriginal peoples, um, away from their families into residential schools. And the purpose of those schools was not only to provide European education, you know, reading and arithmetic, that sort of thing, but also to pursue a policy of cultural assimilation, that is to um, to suppress uh, those indigenous languages and many of their customs. Also in those schools, a lot of abuse took place. There was poor health care, there was physical abuse, and a lot of sexual abuse as well. Now, those schools were the policy of the government of Canada, but they were largely run by churches because only Christian missionaries would go into these remote areas under very austere conditions. Um, and of the majority of the schools were run by Catholic religious orders, principally the missionary oblates. All of this came to lo- came to public view in the 1980s and 90s. And from that time, so for 30 years now, there have been a lot of efforts at what are called in Canada reconciliation to deal with the past, to heal the wounds of the past. And the Catholic role in that has been going on for about 30 years. The first significant apology took place in 1991 with the Oblates who ran the schools for the most part themselves. And there have been commissions in 2009. There was a delegation of indigenous leaders who met with Pope Benedict. He offered an apology then. 
But since 2009, there was a commission that reported, asked for a, another papal apology, but in Canada. Uh, and then last summer, there was a discoveries of, the, of grave sites, unmarked graves, that really made it uh, a very topical and uh, troubled and tense issue in Canada. It's a bit analogous to what happened in 2020 in the Black Lives Matter uh, protests in the United States. It was something of that flavor, a historic issue that flared up. Um, now, what had happened was that the Canadian bishops had been organizing a meeting of indigenous leaders with Pope Francis from 2019. It would have taken place before all of the controversies of last year, but the pandemic delayed it. So it's taken place now. Uh, and because of the intensity of last year, it's got a lot more attention. Right. Uh, press the attention. Pope listened, yeah, well, just uh, attention even in sort of amongst ordinary Canadians. And But you're correct. There's been a big press contingent from Canada here this uh this week. So the Pope gave a lot of attention. He's he scheduled four hours, actually spent more than five on three on four different meetings. Uh, my colleagues in the Vatican Press Corps can never cannot remember in decades any group been given that much time wow. uh, with the Pope. Mostly the first uh, three meetings were him listening to testimonies. Um, and then at the final meeting on Friday, he offered his own response. Now, what is going to take place? Uh, there's no question that a papal apology uh, will be offered. Um, the Pope has spoken about uh, sorrow for abuses of indigenous peoples, most famously in Bolivia in 2015, just last September in a letter to Mexico for their bicentennial. Pope Benedict did the same in 2009 in relation to Canada. And as for a papal visit, that was not formally announced, but everybody knows it's going to happen, and it'll probably happen this summer because Pope Francis said last fall he was willing to do that. Uh, but in terms of dates and locales, that hasn't been announced yet. So uh, the one of the most important of the Canadian Indigenous leaders on this file for 40 years, in fact, the most important one, said uh, this week that he had a great sense of optimism and that... Uh, he said, we're on the verge of turning the corner on this. So I think on balance, uh, it was a very, um, uh, very productive week for the Catholics in, in Canada vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the indigenous leaders there under the guidance of Pope Francis. Sure. Uh, there are political dynamics at work, both in the indigenous world and between Catholic leaders and them. So it's not going to be without... Um, you know, uh, without some friction or bumps along the way. But on balance, I think they're very pleased with the reception they got from uh, the Holy Father. That's great. And and so what are, um, I mean, aside, I know they came seeking an apology, and, and that was a very big part of um, what the, the indigenous peoples and their, their leaders were seeking. Are there other concrete things that they would like to see happen as they go back to Canada now? Well, to understand the history of this, it's a little bit confusing because this is kind of a coda or an epilogue to something that's been going on for a very long time. The actual settlement with the federal government and all the churches involved, which were not just the Catholic Church, was signed in 2006. So that's 16 years ago. And most of those concrete measures... Uh, were already in place 15 years ago, let's say, or underway. Uh, 
Then there was a commission that reported that had a whole list of measures, mostly to do with the government actions. Some of those have not been implemented. But the Canadian bishops have made their own apology, which is the, the latest in a long, long series of them. And there's a fundraising drive, not a fundraising drive, a, a commitment of funding over, of $30 million over five years, in addition to what was agreed to back in 2006. So most of the concrete uh, requests are actually in the past. <coughs> what is new would be an apology from Pope Francis, which was already offered by Pope Benedict in 2009 in Rome, but this will this one will be in Canada, uh, presumably this year. I mean, I think everybody expects it this summer, but we don't have the dates yet about uh, when the Pope will travel. Father Raymond, this has been a very busy news cycle uh, uh, for everyone in Catholic news, but uh, especially Pope Francis. Uh, what's been going on in Rome, and what else is happening? Yes, well, uh, it's a very busy uh, news moment. I mean, for just for example, the delegation on Monday that went in to see him, they were waiting there, you know, to go and see the Pope, and the person who came out ahead of them was Archbishop Gdenski from Poland, head of the Polish bishops, and he was there to discuss Ukraine, the massive number of refugees that were received, the visit of Patriarch Bartholomew, the ecumenical patriarch, to Warsaw the next day, and the German Synod. How's that for a papal audience? So, um, exactly. and that was and that was how Pope Francis spent the half hour before the indigenous delegation got in there. So, um, it's been a very intense week. There's been some big news on the Vatican finance trial. Uh, confirming some allegations of spying and something to do with the Holy Father's involvement. I'm not going to comment, Matthew, further on that because it's it's complicated and I don't really understand. <laughs> right. But I, there's been developments on that front. The Pope, by the way, is uh, in Malta, you know, a trip delayed from the pandemic uh, this Saturday and Sunday. So that's, you know, papal trip is always a major occasion and then of course there'll be the papal uh, remarks on the press conference on the way back uh, which have their own way of generating news so um, in the midst of all that the you know the Canadian delegation here I think did fairly well getting attention from the Vatican press corps and the international media in Rome um, probably they would have liked to have been the only story everybody would right. like but uh, but there was a lot going on in Rome a lot this week yeah, it's understood how you want to be the only story told. Asi Mena, who we're talking about in the next show, planned their launch for March 25th, and of course it was completely overshadowed by uh, the consecration. So, um, yeah, this yeah, always exactly. happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been remarked for some time now, Jeanette, that uh, Pope Francis generates news. He's, he's, good. <laughs> he's good for journalists. There's no he, doubt about he, that. He, he always does, and um, we always joke in our team that when Edward Penton is off is when news happens in Rome, and he happened to be off much of this week. <laughs> so that's, that's an ironic thing. But um, I did want to ask you one, one other question, and it's kind of a, a bit more personal. You spent years in Rome as a, as a young priest and as a seminarian, I believe, if I remember correctly. What, what is it like being back? Like, what, what do you go to first when you're back? Like, uh, how do you uh, well, um, just welcome, welcome back home to Rome? right kind of thing 
<laughs> well, actually, uh, it, this trip was a little bit more poignant than uh, than others. I've been here many times. The last time I was here was with Matthew. He'll recall it well. Uh, the 2019 Synod on the Amazon, and the can and the canonization of uh, now Saint John Henry Newman, who's a patron of mine. Uh, so that was that was the last time I was here. Then came the pandemic, obviously. So this was the first time I uh, I got to spend time with Cardinal George Pell, who's been a very good mentor and friend to me over the years. I had not seen him since uh, before he went back to Australia because yeah. he was there. And then he only when he came back to Rome it was during the pandemic. So that was quite moving for me. Uh, you know, we stayed in touch. But um, and he was grateful, by the way, he had, he know he knew what we had been writing in the register about his case. So that was nice for us to hear. But it was the right thing to do. Uh, I visited my old. I visited the North American College where I was a seminarian, and I went. Just happened to be the day I was there for lunch. They announced they have a new rector, which doesn't happen every you know day. So, uh, Monsignor Tom Powers from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Now he was before me in the seminary. We didn't overlap. Um, so, and of course, there's this Canadian uh, dimension. So, in a way, it was a kind of unusually full visit. That's Both. wonderful, and we're so glad to have you now to, to recount that with us, and I look forward to what you write at ncregister.com. Right. There was uh, a lot going on. I'm happy to share it with you, Jeanette. Excellent. When we come back, we'll talk to Alejandro Bermudez, Executive Director of EWTN's Catholic News Agency, about the new bureau in Erbil, Iraq. We explore the Arabic-language Catholic news agency, Asimena. This is Register Radio on EWTN Radio. Stay tuned. This Lenten season, read, reflect, and revive your faith with EWTN's National Catholic Register. Only the Register provides trusted news reporting and in-depth analysis that's always true to Catholic teaching. It informs, inspires, and equips Catholics to engage the world around them with the truth of the gospel. Let the Register accompany you, help you go deeper spiritually, and enrich your journey this Lent and beyond. Try it for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of The Register. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Editor. On March 25th, amidst the Catholic world's focus on the consecration of humanity to, to Mary, EWTN News launched an Arabic-language news service headquartered in Erbil, Iraq. Michael Warsaw... EW10's chairman of the board and CEO, in his announcement, called the new initiative a significant step to better serve our courageous brothers and sisters in the region who have endured so much. Alejandro Bermudez, executive director of Catholic News Agency and the whole ASI group, including now a total of six news agencies, of which ASI Mena is a part, was in Erbil for the launch, and he's back in Denver now at uh, CNA's bureau there. Alejandro, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
It's such a significant moment for EWTN, the launch of uh, ASI MENA, uh, especially for uh, the ASI group. What does this mean for all of us and for you? Well, uh, to begin with, the ability to collect information about what is happening with our Christian brothers and sisters in that region of the world that, you know, in, in um, international language is known as uh, M-E-N-A, MENA, that's the name of the news agency, which stands for Middle Eastern and Northern Africa. So in terms of our brothers and sisters are basically those who are in territories that are in which Islam is the vast majority and in which they are uh, minorities um, usually living in, uh, in really bad conditions when not persecuted and goes all the way from Pakistan in the east to Morocco in the west. And uh, there are many Eastern rights living in that region, they have mm -hmm. beautiful stories to tell, and nobody knows about them. Well, from now on, we will. Right, right. I, I, I love that. And I'm going to return to kind of the beauty of what they can offer in just a moment. I, I'm so curious. I mean, Alejandro, I mentioned, I think I counted correctly, six news agencies um, that are a part of this whole ASI group. We have, of course, the Spanish language, ASI Prensa, which is headquartered in Lima, where you're from. Um, it's the largest um, Catholic news agency in the world, uh, uh, as we know. <laughs> um, ASI Digital, which is in, um, in uh, Brazil, a Portuguese language uh, news agency. ASI Stampa in Italy, based in Rome, uh, for the Italian language. ASI Africa, which is in English, French, and Portuguese. Amazing. And, of course, there's Catholic news agency, which we sometimes call CNA. Um, Alejandro, this is just an amazing group. And here we are moving into a very particular, uh, very challenged uh, part of the world. How did it come to be? It, it was originally the idea of a, of a German missionary, Father uh, Adalbert Mon, who was in Peru and was surprised how many Latin American countries, including Peru, with a vast majority of Catholics, did not have Catholic media for for some reason. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, we kind of speculate why. Uh, probably the assumption that well, if everybody's Catholic, we don't need something mm. particularly Catholic. But there wasn't any media, and he said, "How about doing a news agency rather than a radio station or or, or say a magazine? You know, because in, as a news agency, we can become providers of news stories that are used in in any format." And of course, this way before the internet. So in that sense, he was a visionary of the, the importance of creation of content. And when the internet came, it was just a golden opportunity to, to grow and expand. Right. And so that's the beginning of um, uh, basically ASI, ASI Prensa. Um, how did this opportunity out in Erbil come to be? I mean, that that's really a tremendous feat, Alejandro. I mean, uh, congratulations for for the launch, it's it's tremendous. So how did that happen? I know, of course, Andrew Walter, who uh, is is now uh, across to the other side, and and hopefully is is um, rooting for us from uh, from God's bosom, right? Um, it, it, you know, I know he had a dream of really serving that part of the world. 
Um, was he a part of helping this uh, happen? Or how did this actually happen in, in Iraq? Yes, is uh, two things were crucial from from our, our good friend Andrew Walter. Is uh, number one, he realized that the sources that are there in Arab in Arabic that are Catholic uh, are being produced outside of the region, you know, in some European country or the United States, and it's just being content that is being translated into Arabic, which is not a bad thing, you know, but. He was he, he was focused on the on the idea of creating a news agency that will be local and will gather local news from local correspondents, uh, so that the rest of the world will be able to know what is happening in the Arabic speaking uh, world. So that 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 was uh, the vision. And number two, he realized that. Uh, with many options, but possible options. You know, Jerusalem was an option for the sea. Lebanon mm -hmm. uh, was an option. Cairo was an option. At the end, for many, many reasons, very well thought reasons, the only option was in the Iraqi Kurdistan, probably one of the safest areas for Christians right now, whose capital is the city of Erbil. Very good. I think Matthew wants to jump in here. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, launching a, a news service like this is hard enough, but also staffing it, I can imagine, is quite the challenge. And I know Bashar Jamil Hanna, a Chaldean Catholic layman originally from Baghdad, is, is uh, the new head of Asimina. Can you tell us a little bit about him and his background? Uh, yes. It, well, he describes himself as one of the old prophets, you know, that uh, <laughs> knew, knew he had to do something but didn't really want to do it. It's really amazing. It's something that he said in, uh, in the uh, article uh, that CNA had on, on the opening. And he said, becoming Asimena's editor-in-chief to carry the message of love to the Arabic world still submerged in conflicts and persecution may be a heavy cross but he has risen. And what I loved about that is really just he, he wants, his, his message was so clear that he just wants to bring joy, um, even amidst the, the hardships that they have experienced. I mean, he, he talked about, um, as you just said, bring, going back to rebuild. I mean, he lost friends. Uh, he had to flee, um, basically, at the time of, of persecution and, and conflict there in Iraq. So, it's his joy is truly inspiring. At least that's what came out in this, in this message. Um, uh, is that is that what you receive from the community there? I mean, I, I you mentioned just how beautiful their traditions are, and I, I can't wait to see more of that, um, even in our pages as we carry uh, Catholic News Agency's material. Yes, it's very hard to uh, to understand unless you live there for a little while, because uh, the joy comes from Christian hope and nothing else. Mm. Uh, because they are second-class citizens, you know, for for thousand reasons. Just to mention one is that Christians speak uh, Chaldean, which is a, a, a neo Aramaic language, you know, and they grow up in their homes speaking uh, Chaldean. Then they learn, in in the case of Erbil, they, they learn Kurdish and Arabic as second languages. So a Christian 
which is a, a despised minor minority, is recognized by the way he speaks immediately. And, uh, and you basically are a second-class citizen. Hmm. So you, you live your life being a second-class citizen. And um, uh, let me tell you a, a, a quick but very emblematic story. Uh, I was accompanied by our operations manager, Kelsey Week, who was staying right. with a local a religious community founded in, in Iraq, Chaldean sisters. And she asked, um, who are the main saints, you know, the, the, the main martyrs? And the sisters told her, uh, listen, we don't have the same concept, uh, concept of martyrs that you have, because the first case of modern martyrdom that we are looking into is from 2012, Wow. And 2014 in Mosul, because uh, all the all of our ancestors and predecessors that were killed, some of them in horrible ways, were just you know for us Chaldeans being Christians. You know, you you if you're a Christian, you die like a Christian, and you die of natural causes as a Christian. You are killed and tortured as a Christian. You just die as a Christian. So their names are in each one of our small Christian towns, but we don't we don't we don't have them as something particularly separated like if you would consider your 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 own martyrs, you know. So look at the beauty of uh, of of that, you know, and what? how natural it is to die as a Christian. Right. What a what an important thing to hear as we're just on the cusp of Holy Week, <laughs> um, as we need to to focus on embracing our own crosses. I was going to end Alejandro asking for a patron that we can pray um, specifically for the intercession of. But but there you have it. I mean, they look at their ancestors and their own martyrdom as a witness, and and we can kind of join in that marveling uh, at that witness as we meditate on, um, you know, our own cross and, and being a witness to the world. Thank you so much for pursuing this, for leading such an endeavor and um, really giving it as a gift uh, to the church. We will stay tuned, um, especially through Catholic News Agency, which our listeners can find at www.catholicnewsagency.com. And of course, for more news analysis and commentary, I invite you to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Michael McCall, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.